people deluded i'm back again thank you very much for tuning back in to the deluded podcast it's another edition i'm sure you've all seen the recent premier league results i've got a bit of general talking points in regards to the premier league and obviously my name is the deluded guna we're going to touch on some arsenal points and just some football points in general or whatever i've got really i've printed off some topics oh yeah there's not much to speak about going into the international break so we might as well crack on with the Arsenal stuff, first and foremost, people. Um, for me, sorry, people, you just heard my camera. I'm trying to record this as well. First and foremost, in regards to the Arsenal news is, um, I believe Reese Nelson has a knee injury. So he's out of the under-21s coming up. Um, would hopefully, fingers crossed, is Saka that gets to looking. Because no disrespect to Mason Greenwood. He's a great player and deserved his spot in the England under-21s lineup um, in his own right, in the squad, he's injured. So I'd like to see Saka. I feel Saka's left under-19s football now, really and truly. He's elevated. I mean, that lad has elevated. In Listen, people, I've probably known about him from, I'd say, about 15. Under-16s, when he was um, a year below that, he took to that level. He took to under-18s under as a schoys He took to under-18s um, under as a, as a first-year scholar. Took to under-23s very early on as a 16-year-old. Now freshly 18, he's firmly a member of Arsenal's first team. I believe he should be getting under-21s um, under action. Um, while we're talking about the youth players as well, I believe the programme had it written... The pro Arsenal programme from Bournemouth said a couple of players have been called up. Congratulations to Miguel Aziz and obviously Sam Greenwood, who have been called up for England at under-18s level, respectively. Our guy Hubbard, who, um, the young 18-year-old um, under-18s goalkeeper for Arsenal, who I've spoken about before. He's been called up to under-17s, um, the under-17s under squad, as has young Charlie Patino. Um, Reese Nelson, Joe Willock and Enketia were called up to 21s duty. Obviously, Nelson isn't going to be a part of that at the moment. So, yeah, on the topic of Nelson, people, and I do feel, personally, obviously, it's natural to, to put players against each other. And as a football club or a team you support, you do that. We all do that as fans. But I can't understand how football so tribal in that it's either or. I'm sure United fans, sometimes at a t point it was you're either Camp Martial or you're Camp, you're Camp Rashford. At Arsenal, it was Jack Wilshere or Ramsey. Now, most Arsenal fans were competent enough to not get drawn into that. But now I'm finding it's Pepe v Saka, it's Nelson v Pepe, it's Nelson v Saka. And that's all healthy. I'm not saying don't compare and contrast and say who should be lining up. But we've got four genuine quality options i'd go as far to say um emery has in regards to our, the left hand flank and the right hand flank you've got reese nelson who can play on the right so we'll put him down as a right winger you've got pepe you've got saka and you've got martinelli people four options that were not here last season you saw how dire our options were last season no disrespect to the players so i'm personally willing to put up with the frustrations that these players will come with in the minutes that martinelli's shown martinelli's done his thing people and on the topic of Martinelli, I saw today that apparently Italy are trying to snatch him from Brazil. Now, that will be an interesting one because obviously he's trained with the Brazil national team, not called up on that basis, but he got to train with them. That's a big vote of confidence for an 18-year-old, 17, 18-year-old who at the time... I wouldn't say he's a relative unknown, but he's not in the he's not in the team officially. He hasn't really done anything in terms of footballing, so they know of his potential. I think he'll stay with Brazil, but in terms of Italy, it's worth a chance going at that. So we've got Martinelli. For me, 
He's very cerebral in terms of his movement. Uh, I like how he's not afraid for his lack of physical quality, in my opinion, in terms of being strong at this age. He's, he's not relish. He doesn't relish the physical. Doesn't get scared of the relish um, of relishing the physical battle. He's fully on that. I love his movement. It's very cerebral. It's very South American. He's obviously a good technical footballer. I think he's got all the skill set to be a potential wide forward of sorts, inside forward of sorts for Arsenal. Whether he develops as a striker, who knows, but I'm excited about him. Saka, he can play on the right, but right now he's locking down the left-hand side. You've obviously got Nelson, who people forget just because Nelson's good. He's very much a confidence player. I believe in Reese Nelson. I think he can go on to be an important player at Arsenal. And worst comes to worst, he can be a squad player within this team. There's no way and no one can tell me Nelson can't. We will get there. I like Nelson a lot. You got to remember, I feel fans have really left him to the side with the other players coming through and stuff. Because if you remember, there were some fans that did fail to recognise he was still developing as a young fa- young footballer himself. Wanted him to stay, saying, oh, Emery, how can you let him go out on loan? Um, obviously, when he signed a new deal and he spoke, he spoke about wanting to be an Arsenal legend and all of these things, everyone was geeing it up. It's like they've turned their back on him now. Obviously, I'm not referring to everyone, but Nelson is going to be a quality player. I think he's... Um, I think he, he looks like he is a confidence player. You have, in fact, I think I've got it up here, people. I think I emailed it to myself at work. So let me not do you lot an injustice. I, um, I think I'd, I'd done two. I'd done two emails or something. One second, allow me to find it, people. Yeah, the first one I want to bring up is. Um, he was obviously asked how he matured. This is a this is an article from ages ago in which Maitland, Niles, Bellerin, and that did. But I was just trolling through Google and I found it and. I can't find my other notes at the moment, people, which was referring to him having confidence issues as a youth. But um, we'll start off with this. He said he's more or less said um, it's obviously different. It's obviously the Bundesliga is different. It's a lot of tacticalness. But what really caught me from this paragraph, people, and what I'm really just going to say is of relevance is he said at the time, for me, I feel like I've definitely matured a lot as a player. I'm not always trying to do the 1v1 play. I'm more about the link-up play since I'm out here. I'm focusing on my runs in behind. Stuff like that which has allowed me to develop as a player and as a person. And you have seen that with Nelson's play. He is, I think he could do a job in the 10 position like what Willock does at times, people. Because he does that little link-up play. When he was playing early on the season, there was one game. He, was, we looked, he looked very good driving through the centre of the field. Obviously, on the left-hand flank, he comes inside. Those of you that were watching him at Academy level he was a bit slightly more direct to a degree but he's changed it up and I mean the best wingers aren't the most effective wingers the goal scoring ones and the ones that the best teams aren't necessarily the players who continuously um, hold up wide positions you'd probably describe um, Salah previously as a winger but he's developed at Liverpool to play as a false nine a striker but also an inside forward do you get it people Sterling's not hanging out on the flanks anymore same as it's a bit like Martinelli I don't think Martinelli hangs out on the flanks he does his thing out there but he comes inside and his movement's good so that's what you want to see with with obviously Nelson I don't know where the points have gone people um but um, I did. I saw a great little paragraph from when Nelson was talking about his confidence issues as a young player, as a, as an even younger player in the academy. Now it's ironic because he's going through the academy. He's been the standout player, but just because you're the standout player doesn't mean you have confidence issues. Um, you're not. You're not. You don't feel the most confident. Could it, I'm not saying he's going through through it now because he has every um, reason for me to be confident because his manager's using him in the squad in whatever fashion 
that he can develop at this club. But he could potentially be going through them same things again, people, and question himself. So we need to stand behind these young footballers. I'm always going to get behind them. There's no way no one can say Nelson and obviously Maitland-Niles to a degree can be a squad player within this side. Obviously, if they want to leave and things happen down the road, that's a different thing. But I really, I really believe in them as players, people. Um... Um, moving on, I was asking, I asked people on Twitter, was which I want to speak about as well, is Danny Ceballos. Now, how would you sum up his time at Arsenal? Because he's what he's played around eight or so times now. Let's just call it eight. He hasn't really completed ninety minutes, but I've liked what I've seen from him. But it hasn't been amazing. I'd describe it. I'd describe it out of ten as a six or a seven, potentially on a fair day, a six. Um, he's shown for me. Um, He's a quality player, like his bravery, he relishes the ball. We missed players that came onto the ball, that relished being in possession, taking people on and provoking attacking moments and situations. I like that. Um, watching the game again against Bournemouth, for example, the amount of times he played the difficult pass, which I believe some players at times scare from, was unbelievable. And even if you look at the first 10 minutes, when first 10 or 12 minutes, whenever Louis scored that period, he was there. He's very good at breaking the lines. He's a bit of, I would say... The criticisms, as as much as I love him, I do feel at times holds on to the ball unnecessarily too long. And I don't feel there has, as much as I love him and praise him for as decent as I think he's been, I do think there hasn't been a game where he hasn't given it away on the edge of our area. So he can obviously pattern that up. I still think he's adapting to the physicality and the, the physicality and the fast paceness of the Prem and that people are snapping at your heels instantly. Other leagues, you get a bit more time and whatnot. Um... It's a bit so-so because he shows potential as an 8, he shows as a 10. Um, I do think he could break the lines even more. I do think potentially if we look to have greater attacking emphasis as a team, he can obviously showcase what he can do and other players could do. Um, he's obviously chipped, he's obviously scored in the Europa League. I'm sure he has an assist or two max people. I think he's been decent. You do want to see a bit more from him, of course. Um, but I think a, a bit of it is down to the coaching because if you look at... I'm not going to sit here and bore you with Ozil because his situation is different. But if you just look at Ozil as a creative midfielder, Joe Willock plays in that role, and Ceballos, it's either one of the three. You really, there's been games, obviously, all of them or two of them have been on, I'm sure. But more often than not, it's a pivot of Torreira, Guendouzi, Xhaka, who are, whoever you want, and either Ozil, Ceballos or Joe. Credit to Emre, he played, I believe, I swear Ceballos, Ceballos and Ozil started against Watford, or was it Ozil and Joe? I could be wrong, people. I could be wrong, but two of the three. But more often than not, it's one's going to play 60 or so minutes, the other's going to come on, or one's going to play. We haven't seen too many players play, and one does wonder if we could find a balance with our returning defensive players, and obviously play, I don't know, find a way to potentially get greater emphasis with the pivot in, in Guendouzi and for me it'd be Torreira to probably play make to a slightly more degree. Could you potentially get Joe and Ceballos or Ozu and Ceballos in the team to give obviously Pepe and, 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 and Laco or Aubameyang or whoever plays up there. We've got some good conundrums now. We've got some rich attacking talents. If you look at the two young players, we knew Saka was going to get a look in at some point this season and Martinelli's the, the same, but they've almost complicated matters even more because um, we knew Nelson would be there but it would probably have been Nelson and Pepe and 
either or, if not both, of Aubameyang or Lacazette. But now we've got two strikers, so we can play the two strikers in our record signing. You could do a 4-4-2 of the two strikers, Pepe and Saka. Saka might miss out. Saka might be brought in. Martinelli's still, obviously, if we just look at him as a young player, he's obviously not going to start. But he's complicating matters. We've got some real rich attacking options to work with, whether it's young players, whether it's players that should be doing a bit more. And I do think certain players are not in form and showing what they can do. But again, offensively, what are we doing in training? We've got a lot of question marks defensively and I think it really shows because I don't think other teams once have been highlighted. But yeah, people, it's like it is what it is. I think if we stand by a couple of these players, it could be it could be decent. But yeah, moving on. And now I think I've got a couple more Arsenal news. Apologies, people. You just heard the paper. What should we speak about now in relation to Arsenal? We could talk about Kieran Tierney. We can just go through what I've printed off, really and truly. Let's start off with the statistics. Apparently, well, the statistics are there. International break. We had 12 shots against Bournemouth, but we took the three points and now we're third. We have won 17 home games in the Premier League under Emery since the start of last season. Only in City, City and Liverpool, with um, City on 20 and Liverpool on 21, have a stronger form than us. Obviously, David Luiz hit the winner for us at the weekend. 11 of his 12 goals have come in London. 10 of those have been coming in home games for both Arsenal and Chelsea. Um, so, yeah, he loves it. He loves, he loves scoring in the capital, I guess. Moving on to players' fitness. And I'm personally, again, I'm not going to lie. There has been question marks. I think Luiz and Socrates, the last two games, they've been on form. So, you can't drop them and whatnot. We was giving it to them when they were making individual errors, people. So, I believe you've got to praise them when they do their thing. I don't think either player deserves to be dropped at this moment in time unless they do something in against, um, who are we playing, Sheffield United or something. But I do believe, I, I want to see Holden. I want to see Holden in the team. He's obviously got to earn his spot because it's not like they're in a loss of form. Spots are earned on merit, so he's got to earn his position in that regards. But I'm keen to see Holden and Kieran Tierney especially coming back because I don't think Kolasinac was, was necessarily poor at the weekend, but the final ball and the end product, it, you can't help but play devil's advocate with yourself at the ground. What if it was Kieran Tierney whipping them, driving balls in and Aubameyang getting on the end of it? Um... So it is what it is. But um, Emre said that both of them more or less are closer to playing. He said he thinks Holding can complete 90 minutes and put in a good performance. And he's, he, in quotations, he said, Now we are working with Holding, but also with Louise and Socrates. But really, I'm very happy. He's going to have a chance to play a lot of matches. Kieran Turney is closer to us. He played on Thursday. And today, obviously, he's referring to Sunday. He was on the bench if we needed him. Hector Bellerin needs a little more time, more matches and more training. This international break is going to be important for him. I think he'll be closer to starting for us in the next matches in the Premier League. So obviously we're going to look to utilise this week with Hector Bellerin especially. I don't know, will we schedule some behind closed doors friendlies? Will we do some intra games with, I don't know, the players that are not on the international scene in terms of being called up at youth level and full international level, will we do a little 23s versus the Arsenal? Um, obviously, um, I would I would like him to play against Sheffield United away, but that's going to be a good game and a very physically demanding game 
is it necessarily wise of us to put him in there if he's not really fit? Because it's going to be a dogfight. I'm not trying to disrespect Sheffield United and I'm not trying to spoil my preview for the game. But I think they need to be applauded. Away from home, they've shown that they're on crud and I think they're unbeaten away from home. At home, they've made teams work for their points. They've got It's away from home again, but they drew against Chelsea. At home, Liverpool beat them fair enough. But I'm sure if you listen to any Liverpool fan review after that game or you speak to the players, they had to work for that game. It weren't no Liverpool just turning up and just scoring their goals. United, United well, yeah, Sheffield United made them work for it. And obviously, individual mistakes with Henderson. No disrespect to the young keeper on loan from United because I like him. Tell, but that's going to be a physically demanding game and you know it's going to be it's going to be on a Monday it's probably going to be cold I'm not making any saying Bellerin on the plane is cold but is it wise the physios and, and Emre and them people there at Arsenal know more than me but we'll see what happens man it's either way it's nice to have these players back in the squad and in theory due to Luis and Socrates being alright two games on the spin Holding coming back Tierney and Kolasinac obviously we've got the young wingers in Martinelli and Saka Pepe and Nelson, um, Len Lacazette to come back. It's positive conundrums for Emre. Who does he play up front? Because someone's got to miss out. Who does he play in defence? And this will raise the performance in theory and training and all these things. If we do that and everybody earns their spot on merit, we should get closer to the top four people in theory. Um, the goal scorer, Louise, obviously we I've kind of sang his praises and he scored. So we might as well hear what he potentially had to say after the game. I believe I copied and pasted this off Arsenal.com. He said, we could have scored more in the first half, but we controlled the game. The second half was more of a typical Premier League match. Bournemouth have some amazing players, so the second half was more difficult. They created some chances, recreated some chances, and it's always like that. When you have opportunities to kill the match, you have to try to kill the match. If not, all the teams have quality to come back. In the second half, they were trying to come back into the game. But we were strong enough to keep the clean sheet and win the game. And I think that's a very honest assessment from David Luiz. And I think he's given a bit of a snippet in potentially what they're going to speak about in the dressing room. Or spoke about, because it's past tense now, in the dressing room, people. In the sense that, first, I was at the game. So the first 12 minutes, I believe, Luiz scored inside. We should have really looked to smell going for the kill and go 2-3-4 up. Like what you, well, Liverpool City lost at the weekend. But Liverpool have been doing at times, not really against... Well, they didn't do that against Leicester, really. But you see what I'm saying, people? Because on another day, that game is a 1-1 or a 2-1 or it's filled with a bit of controversy, people. Bournemouth didn't really trouble us, but they did have chances they should have scored from. Wilson went round the keeper and it was lovely from Chambers. But on another day, do you know what I'm saying, people? I don't want to harp on and sound negative, but it's important to just have a balanced opinion and speak about everything that's happened. I feel too many fans in general... It's extremes. Now people can't differentiate between seeing what's what's reality or just being negative and being positive. Because if you speak to many Arsenal fans, they're all positive. Oh, mate, we're third. Nothing matters, mate. Forget it. Um, Spurs and all these teams have lost. We're third. It doesn't matter. And if you speak to the negative people, they'll forget the fact that we're third and doing all right and not actually the worst team defensively right now. But they'll just focus on our style of play or the lack of and all of these things. When the reality is... Similar to the 22 unbeaten period, people, um, we were, we are winning games. And on one hand, we did show determination, grit, fight, intensity, all of these sort of things, people. Um, we did. Sometimes you, you're not at it as a football team and you just have to get three points. But more often than not, during that run when we was 22 games unbeaten, 
performances were being masked by individual moments of brilliance of scoring goals or just coming back in that game. You can trace that back to necessarily our lack of clean sheets last season, um, having to consistently change our team at half time and having second half heroes and whatnot. I go back to the Fulham game because many people will put, I believe Ramsey scored. It was a fantastic team move. That was one of our goals of the season last year. But you go and watch that game again. We had to come from behind. Yeah, we won 5-1, but didn't Schurler score in the first in the first first half? So that shows things. And I think these sort of things are still there this season. Um, obviously, United and Spurs' struggles have benefited Chelsea and Arsenal right now. But the reality is, is it's October, people. The league table doesn't matter. It's good that we got three points, but we're not playing convincingly. Have we really been convincingly this season? I'll give us praise. We kept a clean sheet. I'm not trying to sound negative by any stretch, but we kept a clean sheet. We scored a header. We got, we're up to third. We got crucial three points. But at the same time, on another day, which I've spoken about earlier, which Bournemouth could have done, could we potentially have killed the game off? Because we've played like this and lost games or drawn games or it's been harder than it needs to be. You look at this game, was it we won it and we weren't necessarily challenged in all periods by Bournemouth. I personally thought they would have put up more of a fight. But... There was opportunities. Aston Villa, now be honest, Arsenal fans, we won that and it shows again we can say fight and come back and blah, blah, blah. But we made that game extremely harder than it needed to be, really. I'll give us Spurs. I mean, we could certain things we could have done better, but I feel the performance and the application and all of these sort of things were there. But they, in the eight games or so we've played, there hasn't been too many. We're third right now. We take that. But it's all about improving and patterning because... It's like life. When you're when you're playing relatively well, you get away with these things. It looks decent, like you're seeing. But when it goes bad, it goes bad, like you saw with the eight games, where these very same pro eight games where we kind of messed it up at the end of last season, where this very period, I mean, that very period, you saw all of the issues that were there when we was winning these games. When it rains, it really pours people. So I'm not saying to be negative. I'm saying to have balance and see what's there. We start as me means to go on from an Arsenal perspective, but it, there's no doubt about it. It has to improve in terms of how we're going out and killing games. We kept a clean sheet, but historically clean sheets, not really giving teams opportunities um, at our goal and things like that, just being a bit more solid in general really really and truly people um so yeah finally the last arsenal thing i'm going to speak about because i know a lot of you probably be bored but i felt it was important to get all out of the way um i'll touch on amici quick um young amici's played 38 minutes at the moment of making this podcast people for hamburg um but he's still learning people again i know many young players don't expect to just go abroad and start flying but he's in the first team. Hamburg look like they might be getting promoted because they're second. So he's in a competitive environment where they have to fight in training and learn that sport. Definitely more competitive than the 23s. And he's probably learned a lot being at that level already. So I wish Amici the best. And I'll, hopefully he improves on that 38 minutes. And for you lot that don't really take an interest in young players, there's all goals that get put on Twitter and Arsenal get asked a question as to why they sold him. Um, I, I, he can be forgiven for leaving. You can't fault him because at the end of the day, there's Martinelli Saka here. There's Nelson and Pepe here, people. Um, I wouldn't sign another winger, but some fans might make the case of necessarily if a real world-class top player in that position came available, is there a spot for him? I would say potentially yes. Other people would say no. That would further complicate it for Amici. So he's... Either way, he's in Hamburg's first team, a, a position that he mid wouldn't have necessarily have been in, um, in um, thingy, 
um, had this had this um, had he stayed at Arsenal. Now, didn't he go off to the Europa League final with Saka? So it might have happened, but you can't deal with miles. You have to go with facts. So there's that. So good luck to Michi. I'll be watching his progress. Moving on from that, Koscielny's spoken in regards to his departure. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Now, a lot of people think I hate Koscielny. I don't like the way he left. I like to banter on Twitter like he's seen. I like to take the mick out of Koscielny because of how he left. I feel it was disgraceful. I felt he threw away any potential accolades he could have kept at this club or whatever. For me, anyways, I can't tell another man or woman that supports this club to wipe their hands of him. But I've seen players that are held in less regard, that I felt conducted themselves in less as a human, let alone a footballer, behave in better manners when leaving this club than Koscielny. At the end of the day, Koscielny got what he sought, what he was seeking, and that was to depart the club via whatever means in it. But it was just distasteful, not going on, not going on touring. That you look at Montreal, he can for me Montreal, big up Montreal, been a loyal serviceman to the club, won couple trophies. Clearly, he's for a while now wanted to go back to Spain and do his thing. Didn't once complain. Obviously, situations are different, and he might have complained. But to us fans, got his head down, played, stayed, played. Didn't he play this season before he left? Kept his head up when it became evident he's leaving. All right, cool. Thank you for the service. Go and do your thing. We move on as a club, which we have done. Um, but he said, I didn't feel I could play 40, 50 games. I didn't want to end my career with injuries. I've gone down a level, but to take more pleasure. So obviously he wants to keep enjoying football and he's gone down a level. Again, I don't begrudge Koscielny. If he doesn't feel he's at that level then he's, and he wants to seek pastures new, that's on him. If Emre, if he's telling Emre this and Emre's still saying you're going to be a key part of the player, then key part of the team, then it's on the club to move him on. I don't begrudge him for wanting to leave or, or saying this, people. Koscielny's been putting his body on the line for years at this club, people. For years he put his body on the line and whatnot. He's been a serviceman um, and whatnot and done his thing. But you just, I just don't hold you personally in high regard. So I don't have any complaints with that. You ain't got 40, 50 games in you. you clearly, as you're getting on thinking about your health not just as a footballer but your health and how that might impact because he's got he's a young man in terms of life life he's what 30 odd years age he's still got life in him he's got a young family again i'm not a physio or doctor but footballers him with his achilles and all the problems he's been through he's got to think about his health and i guess running with his kids and doing things and being an active dad and just being able to do things in it people um so yeah He's on, gone on to say, either I finished there or changed clubs. With my family, we felt it was time. Everything in my thinking, football, my physical state, my children, my wife, the daily life we could have. I could only say that I left with my head held high. All those I worked with for nine years, everyone respected my decision to return home with my family. He's obviously said, I've always been upstanding respectful and loyal i've always gave my maximum i spoke with the coach who was understanding so again this might have not been an issue for the for emory necessarily this might be an issue for the hierarchy and that he wanted to keep it moving reality is if we're relying on a 34 year old or however the or the old years he, he is people there would have been problems at the club because there's no longevity he we all know before he's come out and said that that he ain't got them games in him he recognises he ain't. It ain't, and it's obviously it's better in terms of health that he recognises he, he isn't. But from a football perspective, it's not like we've got a naive centre half who's not really smart enough to comprehend these things and still wants to put his body on the line. He clearly doesn't want to be here in terms of playing them games, thinking he can help us move forward, and he just wants to do other things. So it was cool. So. Yeah, man, the less said about Koscielny, the better. For me personally, I wipe my hands with him. It's my opinion doesn't matter. I'm just a football fan at the end of the day. He's earned his money. He's got what he wants. He's making his wife and children and family happy. So my opinion doesn't matter, but that's just my opinion as a fan. So moving away from that, people, 
I can't lie, people. I don't think Mane gets the respect he deserves, people. Now, I don't mean that lightly. Sess has come out and the other day and said he's the third best player. I feel Mane, people recognise his quality. People recognise he's important. But when people say Liverpool, for example, or people that I've come in interacting with, it's Salah first, no disrespect, and then Firmino, no disrespect. Why ain't Mane getting that bread? Because this guy is, like, he's an absolute savage. Like, people were turning up their nose with him. To, to signing him at Southampton and now look at him I personally don't think he gets the respect he deserves man he got I swear he got to 50 goals at the weekend for for Liverpool um, how long no disrespect to Firmino and they're obviously different roles and different strengths and whatnot. but look how long it took him to get that um, hopefully Mane will get recognised especially if Liverpool go on to win the league and on that note people let's crack on away from Arsenal is it Liverpool's to lose people now I don't like hot takes because if we talk about hot takes already in this month of October Arsenal are finishing third. It's all great for Chelsea after being all poor. People are saying it's going to be long. Spurs are going to get relegated. United potentially could get relegated. Um, and Liverpool are going to win the league. Now, Liverpool have been crazy this season. They got over the result against Sheffield United, which I said earlier. But recently they played and beat um, Leicester 2-1, didn't they? I thought it was a bit, the man in question, Mane, who I've just bigged up. I did think it was a bit of a soft pen and... Don't really understand what the ref was doing there, but fair enough. They got the results, people. And after seeing Manchester City lose 2-0 to Wolves, which was a shocker, losing for the second time, I believe, this season, it makes Liverpool's recent run and victory at the weekend even more significant. Now, again, we're in October, but I'm looking at it. Liverpool, it comes down to will Liverpool players be wiser? Because they were fantastic last season. But forgive me if I'm wrong, was there not a period with Liverpool where they were nine points clear in similar territory now, people? And they somehow found a way to counter bottle that and City won that. Now, they've done everything perfect beyond that point and to up until this point. They've won the Champions League. It's about... Klopp can only tell them several things. It's about these players keeping their head and being that wiser. After being burnt last season, being wiser. Do they hold on to this? Will Liverpool stay unbeaten to the end of the season? If that question mark is always going to go until they lose. I'm not going to stick my neck out. I think it's, it's almost impossible to be invincible because there's going to be a day they're just not at it. But who knows? Their home form is ridiculous. Um, Liverpool, Liverpool are top people. Eight games, no, eight games or so played. Nobody can stop them from winning at this moment. And I believe they're on 24 points. Manchester City are on 16. So will they learn from these mistakes? I don't want to say it's there to lose because it's only October. But right now it's Jurgen Klopp's men's to lose. And... I mean, surely, if I was Klopp, surely you'd take... I know Klopp's been talking about a sabbatical and whatnot and, and a rest from football. After winning Liverpool the Champions League, if he does win the Prem this year, surely you got to call it a day from Liverpool and go and take your break and seat pastures new. I say that. Personally, I would stay because there's that pressure of retaining it and things like that. But football happens in cycles. Klopp has rebuilt that side in many different ways, getting players out, bringing players in, trying things that didn't work, selling players that were key part of it and reinvesting it. Um, he's done his thing. They've got, they, what, they got, obviously it's only Carlin Cup, but in terms of building the squad, did they not get to a Carlin Cup final and lose or win? I can't remember people. Um, they've obviously got to a, two, two Champions League finals. They would have won the league in this hypothetical world. Obviously, there's that challenge of carrying it on, but football is in cycles. Has it gone as far as it potentially can? Because I'm not linking Pochettino's situation, but Poch, fantastic side. They've even regressed over the last two years with departing players and whatnot, to a degree, Spurs. Um, and still been fantastic by by standards. As an Arsenal fan, Spurs have been the most, it's the most scariest period I've seen Spurs as an Arsenal fan in terms of North London. But um, we'll get on to Spurs, but 
Pochettino's European final, all of these things, do you have Spurs, do you run the risk of hitting that glass ceiling and then seeing what's happening now with Spurs, not to draw conclusions, but there's several question marks and sound bites coming out all the time. Do you do you change things? What happens in that regards? Like, do you take a break and then kind of quit where you're ahead? There's no right answer for that. I'm just trying to um, arouse you lots of imaginations with these thoughts. But big up to Liverpool, you've got to give credit where they're due, people. They're unbeaten in their last 43 Premier League home games. That is their long that that is um their longest unbeaten um run at home people in the top flight um after the well after doing it in nineteen seventy eight to nineteen eighty sixty three games which was eventually ended by Leicester courtesy of my copy and paste job um they obviously become the seventh side in history to win each of their um opening eight games um in the top flight and the first to achieve defeat on two occasions having also done so in nineteen ninety and ninety one. Um, so obviously, yeah, they haven't lost in, in any of their last 49 Premier League games in which they've scored in the first half since losing 4-1 to Tottenham in December two years ago, October two years ago, sorry, people. Um, yeah, they've also won their last 17 Premier League games, just one short of Manchester City's all-time top flight record of 18 between August and December. We all know they play Manchester United next, who have been in terrible form. Again, I want to be wary of drawing conclusions, but I'm sure United fans, Liverpool and that rivalry runs deep. I'm sure it's looking like bleak times and it's looking like a cricket score based on how they've been playing in, all, in, in more or less every competition. Liverpool have been sick, man. We'll get on to United, and I feel like speaking about United, but let's get on to... We can't not talk about City now. City, boy, it's a nine, eight, nine-point gap, whatever I said earlier, people. Boy, mathematically, it's possible. City haven't played Liverpool twice yet. So if Liverpool win, it's an even greater position. But Liverpool and City have to meet each other twice. And to City's benefit, yeah, people might be asking question marks, have they still got it, this and that. But the longer Liverpool go undefeated, the longer this great form stays undefeated, the longer this sort of positive stuff hangs, the more people are going to look at Liverpool. Can they do it? Can they this? And then they'll put more question marks on their players and their players' bottle, to which City could be a chameleon sort of thing. Now, City... Like I said, with Liverpool being in familiar territory and kind of messing up last season, City have been in similar circumstances in many times this season, not just in regards to the league running. So it got, it goes down to the players to be mature enough, which I'm sure they have. They've lost two games. It's only October. They've lost two games. It is it is a shock because it is Manchester City. But at the end of the day, teams have lost two games and won the Premier League, people. Let's, let's keep some perspective. Um, again... Out of who would I prefer to win the league out of City or, or, or Liverpool? Neither really and truly, people. But so, yeah, we'll have to see what happens. But some interesting stats on City. City have only failed to score in one of their last 44 home Premier League games, winning 39, drawing three and obviously losing two. They've scored 142. During that period, they scored 142 goals at the Etihad, netting, on five, netting five or more on 11 different occasions. I really need some glasses because this is print jobs are horrid. Um, Pep Guardiola obviously has a win percentage of 25% in all comps against Nuno. Only Ronald Koeman and Jurgen Klopp have worse win percentages. Um, forget that, people. Let me read that again. Basically, forget the other bit, but Pep Guardiola only has 25 win percentage against Nuno against Wolves' Nuno. So did Nuno always have his number? Potentially does Nuno know how to play him? Similar to how... Um, Flores of Watford you look I don't have it to hand but I talked about it at the time Emery and his record it, it's positive in Flores's did he have his rec did he have his number did he kind of know how it worked I'd love to hear the thinking from both managers one day man but um 
obviously playing Wolves is no small feat, man. Since the since start of last season, they've they've won more points versus Premier League big six than any other non big 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 six side, which stands at twenty. Pep Guardiola, in relation to I assume is the league and the whole chase for that league title and them retaining it, he said, "The distance is big. I know that." For many circumstances, they, referring to Liverpool, didn't drop points. It's better not to think about one team is eight points ahead. It's only October. There are still a lot of games. So, yeah, man, obviously, this is the first time Manchester City have lost two of their four opening home games for the first time since 2014. They've already dropped five points at home, two more than the whole of last season. The year before that, when they reached a record 100 points, they dropped seven at the at the Etihad Stadium in the entire campaign. So again, it might not be that city or perfect, but it's just about getting to the league title and retaining it. And it's going to be an interesting running between them two sides. And it's going to be a long season of, of, of highs and lows and questions of both teams. And yeah, may the best manager and set of players and football club ultimately win people. So we'll see what happens. And from a Pep Guardiola circumstance, someone that's so meticulous, just the manner of them conceding them goals towards the end of the game must have really bugged him. Moving away from that, and obviously there's been, we'll get on to long stuff. He obviously scored against United, but there was a teenager, Aaron Connolly of Brighton, who scored two goals against Spurs to obviously subject Spurs to another defeat, people. Spurs have lost more games in, in all competitions in 2019 than any other English top side. They've no, they've obviously now lost 17, and that's as many games as they've won this calendar year. I can't lie, if that was Arsenal, these things would be highlighted. And to be honest, statistically, Arsenal don't have the worst statistic defensive stats. So as an Arsenal fan, I'm obviously going to go down that route and question the media. Daily Mail, where were them people there? If it was Arsenal with all these players in contract um, limbo and the managers, all this limbo stuff and all the players in consistent form, they'll be having a field day with all that clickbait crap. But shout out to Aaron Connolly, man. Brighton have a couple of young players coming through, a couple of Irish ones in, in particular. In general, there's a couple promising Irish players. There's Connolly. There's that young Irish under-17s international for Brighton. There's obviously Spurs' Troy Parrott. There's Joe Hodge at Manchester City. So there's some good players. Connolly, with his two goals, becomes the first Irish player to score a brace since Robbie Keane did against um, 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 did for, for Coventry against Derby in August 1999. Again, copy and paste, horrible job. But Spurs have conceded 10 goals in their last two games in all competitions. The first time they have done so across two matches was in 1997. They have taken just 11 points from eight games so far, leaving them ninth and 13 points adrift, people. On a waveform, they're actually 17th and Arsenal are 10th, people. And we've had to go to Anfield and Old Trafford, so make of that what you have, people. They've obviously, again to highlight, lost the most away games in all competitions in 2019 than any other Premier League side, which I believe is 12. Um, they've obviously conceded the most goals out, um, conceded the most goals this season by the big six. They have the most with 20. Chelsea have 18. Arsenal have 11, which is quite mad. Liverpool are 13th. United at 8th and Manchester City at 8th. I don't know where I got them stats for, so forgive me if that don't make no sense. I really need to stop shorthanding things. But none of these stats look positive for Spurs, man. They've taken, they've won just 22 points from their last 20 games in the Premier League. Their lowest point tally over a 20 league spell, 20 game spell, sorry, since 2008, 2009, where they got 21. So again, Spurs can still get top four. So I do believe people need to keep some perspective, like it's only October. But it is telling. They've had some wonderful years of recent. Obviously, the trophy hasn't been there and whatnot. But like I said earlier, it's been the most nervous moment for me as an Arsenal fan 
seeing Spurs at this moment in time, people. Um, they've been on a run. I, I think they've hit a glass ceiling without significant... And I, I want to say significant in... Um, in fair terms, because I know Levy has his question marks. I'm not even a Spurs fan, but I have question marks. But at the end of the day, they spent 60 or even more than that on end on Bile. Um, Lecelso is injured now, but that was a decent outlay. They invested for the future, respectively, with Sessegnon and Clark next season. Um, so there's been money, but without significant investment, like quality players in a couple of positions to help the likes of Son and 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 and, and Kane and these sort of players. They, you, you can't really make a case of Spurs winning the league title, getting beyond just qualifying for the top four. Obviously, the Champions League last season was mad. Um, so have they hit a glass ceiling? These things happen. Sometimes tactics reach. Not Sometimes it's nothing to do with even investment. Managers and clubs just hit a cycle and it gets a bit stale, either from the coach's perspective or the players. Sometimes things need to change and they've been together for, what, three to five years and... Obviously, they've had some fantastic times and I think Poch is still the man and he said he wants to be here for the next five years and whatnot. But that has to be the question mark. You, Spurs do, like United and we're going through now, they they do need a rebuild. You look at their back four, it's not the same back four, three, five, whatever you want to call it, as before. They could add some depth as well as quality um, additions. I think they need to bring in some more youth because Vertonghen and Toby, on top of their contract stuff, they haven't really got long left football in terms. I know Toby's younger. Um, Rose wants away, so what are they going to do with the left-back spot? Right-back, obviously, um, there's question marks. Aurier clearly isn't the man. Kyle Walker-Peters is injured. Sissoko's had to fill in there. Sissoko's been in the middle, but I'm sure many Spurs fans wanted a creative sort of mid-player, creative mid-player, creative sort of midfielder like um, Ericsson and that. Um, regardless of Ericsson's future, but they probably got to get to look, get a bit more players in that can break the lines. Endombele looks to be doing that at times, and Ericsson's here for now, but just a bit more quality players. So obviously, it's not really looking, it's not really looking healthy for for Spurs this season, people. Um, it's probably going to be a year of ups and downs and whatnot, but it's what it is. Former Arsenal manager Arsene Wenger's had some points to say, and he said, "When I played them, Spurs two or three years ago, they looked young." Hungry. They looked like a young and hungry team who had found good strength, good core of the team with people who were together growing inside the club. They expressed that hunger and players from the outside were vital, like Christian Eriksen. Today, you don't feel that same chemistry and a player like Eriksen is a bit sidelined because it looks like he doesn't want to commit his future to the club. Modern life is down to small margins and these small margins at the moment are not in their favour. Will they get back? I don't know because I didn't copy and paste the rest, people. But it's not fun times for Spurs right now. Which is happy. I'm not getting going get twisted. I'm excited as an Arsenal fan. It's, it's, I'm ecstatic right now, people. It's only October. November's coming up for Arsenal, which is quite scary in general. Just that month sends shivers down my back, people. But um, right now, it's happy days, man. Because not just them, but United are finding a way to be rubbish, people. I mean, yeah, I'm enjoying it, people. Banner aside, I feel sorry for my United fan friends. But then I remember how many league titles United used to win in the in, in school and whatnot. And it just feels like the bully who finally got beaten up. And, you know, once a bully gets beaten up, everyone's like, you're kind of soft, you know. And, and yeah, we failed to beat them. But United, United obviously on a mad, on a mad thing right, right now. Just two wins in their last 12 Premier League games. Um, the club record is seven games without an away win. Um, he's hit that. They're obviously 10th in the division after... Sorry, people, that's just... Um, let me start that again, people. 
They've won two of the last Premier League games. That's from another vid. Um, ignore that. They've picked up just nine points on the um from the opening eight games this Premier League season. Obviously, they've won two, drawn drawn three, and lost three. Sadly, one of them draws was against Arsenal. It's their worst start to the league since 1989-90, where they got eight points when they went on to finish 13th, which hopefully happens. I mean, Oli Oli Golasolsha is at the wheel. I'm sure on a serious note, many United fans would sit down. I, I'm not going to question Oli because it's not a case for me, but I don't really see the vision or the longevity, from, um, the, the sort of longevity beyond a three or four-year period that they're trying to do. I don't feel all the problems are down, down to Oli. I don't feel I see significant offensive training I see element. He did try to get the counter-attacking stuff going, but in short, defensively and offensively, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer doesn't look like the guy to invest to be able to um, implement uh, a proper style of, of playing with United and developing players to get into the next level as quickly as they want to do. But there is a lack of direction from the club. I'm not going to say they haven't spent money because they have, but they haven't spent it sensibly sensibly and obviously Fergie's not there to do everything so where is the director of football and other individuals if not that to move the club forward I know they've got these roles but where is the forward planning because it's not just a case of one man now um Oli or whoever is in Oli's position should be a head coach similar to Poch and Emery respectively at North London in their North London clubs it's worrying United are playing poor even couple games they've won like against who is it where they scored a pen up where Rashford scored a pen was it I don't even know people, but they scored a pen. They haven't. They've been playing appalling. They they were they were appalling in the two Europa League games I watched. They were appalling against Rochdale. They lost to Newcastle, and they just looked all over the place. They have had players injured. Fred just doesn't look Brazilian in terms of a Brazilian footballer that we'd all spring to mind. Just not just him. A number of players are just not pulling it out, and it's just all going wrong, which is fantastic, people. Um, since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was appointed permanently on the twenty eighth of March. Manchester United have won just 17 points in 16 Premier League matches, losing seven, winning four and drawing five, which is their fourth worst tally among the 17 present teams in um, ever present teams in that time. So it's quite crazy, people. So United seem to be in, 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 in dire, in dire sort of. Just in dire, just in dire need of something, man. They just it's just poor, man. But. Shout out to Newcastle, and obviously that's Steve Bruce's first win against United. That's a big three points, and I'm sure Newcastle fans would still want him to leave. But that's Newcastle fans have kind of had it tough, man. So at least that gives them a a, a, a sort of short time high and whatnot um, in their respective journey as a football club this season. And it, and Williams is it Jetro Williams? He set up the goal for Longstaff, which was a fantastic moment for him. Um, didn't he play alright against Liverpool? Scored that banger, but. In regards to Longstaff, he obviously got to play with his brother, which is something they probably dreamed of in their garden. Um, at 19 years of age and 119 days old, he becomes the youngest ever player to score in his Premier League debut for Newcastle. And he obviously did a lap of honour, which is good. He's a, I assume he's a local boy. He's from Newcastle. He's dreamed of that moment just in the Premier League, if not the team. So it's a wonderful moment from him, people, personally, to, to let him see that. Um, obviously, you got to touch on Chelsea, man. I don't... You can't really... There's nothing to say about Chelsea. I think similar to us, they're just, they're just struggling through like us. I feel the one thing you can say about Chelsea is defensively, let's get some... From a Chelsea perspective, want to probably get some clean sheets, look a bit more convincing. The young players have looked good. Tomori, Tammy Abraham is scoring week in, week out. Mason Mount is doing his thing. People are saying it was going to take time. But Lampard's done his thing. And similar to Arsenal, 
Arsenal and Chelsea have to look to take advantage and, and start as they mean to go on and take advantage of United and Spurs' poor form, people, really and truly. For me, I like how Chelsea are playing. There's a swagger in their team. Um, Lampard's doing what he can with the transfer ban and whatnot. Um, he's doing what he can. I think the only issue is just seeing there is defensively. If Chelsea could be a bit more convincing defensively, then they're all set, man. I feel, as you know, it's Chelsea's the shortest one for me to stay on. Like, Chelsea's... They've done their thing, man. I think Chelsea have done their thing this season. So, I can't really get on to Chelsea. I would have loved Chelsea to be doing poor as well. Don't get it twisted, people. Um, but it wasn't meant to happen, people. Um, to go back to Danny Ceballos quickly, I have some notes that I didn't say. Um, apparently, he had the highest passing accuracy um, in the opposing half, which was... Well, no, he had the most passes in the opposing half and he also had the highest pass accuracy of 86%. Um, and... Callum Chambers, who I felt played good watching it, but watching it second time around, made some important blocks. He had 20 more touches than any Arsenal player. He had the most tackles um, and he made the second most duels. He obviously got forward. Only Aubameyang had more shots on goal than him, which we had 12 shots and only two was on target. So if Chambers is up there free scoring, then what is that saying about our coaching offensively again, people, to push my agenda? Well, it is what it is in that regards. Um... To go back quickly, people, or or, or to, to, to kind of touch on a point, Tammy Abraham's obviously one of the top goal scorers in the league at this moment in time. And he's, the most he can do is repay Lampard's faith and shown he can be used in the side. But I guess I'd like to pop a question to Chelsea fans. Do you believe you need another striker? I know Giroud might leave at the end of this year, but he seems to be... Obviously, Giroud and Michy Batch are in the squad... But do you believe you need another striker? Because I say this, because Tammy could be that number nine. But if something happens to Tammy or a loss of form or he doesn't repeat this goal-scoring form, what happens? Um, just to just to just to float it, not the person, but let's, would it? Could you? Would you be be open to the angle of I guess, in theory, a, a Diego Costa and a Tammy Abraham either play both or one or just another number nine in general? And just to touch on United, I know United have been linked with Wilson, but surely they should look at Lyon's Dembélé. Now, again, a lot of French players so far have had a slow start to life in the Premier League. Not that I care for that crap, but um, he started off the season well. Apparently, he's being scouted by them, but he started off the season well. He's 23 years of age. He's made eight appearances and he's got six goals. Or they should go for Highland. I can't say his name. That Salzburg striker, the... Guy is scoring week in, week out in eight appearances. He's got 11 goals already and five assists. Um, they were linked with Zupata, and I think Zupata would make a good out um, outsider sort of choice. I mean, if Zupata could be consistent in Champions League this term for Atlanta, there is a chance he could get a move because he started off the season well. Seven appearances, six goals and three assists, one coming in Champions League. And the Colombian, I believe he's from Colombia, he had a good, good, he had a good season last year, people. Um, So he was doing he was doing his thing in that regards. Um, moving on from that, people, and I just thought I'd touch on some DG scouting. I can't say his name, so I'm gonna call him Ewad. But I've seen him. He's a centre half, um, defender by trade. He plays for Belgium at youth level, and I'm not saying he's good or anything. I'm just, I just, I'm highlighting him because he's a player. I'm, I'm just looking and seeing what what he's about. I've seen him take to senior life relatively well. Um, I think he's got decent height. He's a good reader of the game. His feet could improve. He's if I had to compare him to someone. He, just so you can kind of get a grasp of him on about he's, he's loosely like Murtasako. He's a bit quicker, but he's loosely plays like that in terms of reading the game. Contracted till 2020. He's played eight times a young 18-year-old for Zult. I can't say that team's name, but I think Berahino plays for them. Um, and that follows on, obviously, 
with a couple Belgian players that are coming on. You've obviously seen me talk about Yari Versajan. I can't say his name, but you don't know who I'm on about. The Belgium lad, um, 17 years of age, went off to the under-21s tournament earlier in the summer. And he's also been called to the full national team of Belgium, the Anderlecht individual. And it's a matter of time before they do that for Jeremy Duku, the winger that plays for Belgium as well. And I believe, ironically, he's been linked with a £5 million move to either Arsenal or Chelsea. Um, so we'll see that what happens in that regards. I've made a video about Saliba, and I think Saliba played very well in the in the game um, for Saint Etienne against Lyon. And I did see it looked like they went free at the back in the game at a point. Um, it looked like he was playing centre half, but also right back at times. People, mainly, I was a bit tipsy from the game watching it, but it was a bit mad. Um, but yeah, man, he played Saliba played composingly and done all right against Depay and Alwa for me in particular um, against Saint Etienne. weren't amazing, but he did his thing. Um, but I came across, is it Charles Abbey? Now, I don't know. I ain't been watching this guy re, um, religiously, but I saw him. I saw, new, I saw a new manager, Claude Powell, start him for St. Etienne. Or I can't remember if he started, but he played him. 18, 19 years of age. And he looks quite strong, and his hold-up play looks decent. So I'm going to... I don't know his level. I'm not saying he's a wonder kid. You lot just not have an unhealthy obsession with looking at players. He's someone I'm just going to keep an eye out on. And I've seen jo Joshua... Vanoman, I can't say his name, but Arsenal, Munich and Everton were linked last summer. He can play left-back or right-back for Hamburg. And I've seen during their push for promotion and their finishing second, he's been getting a look in. I think he's a decent defender who I'm relishing learning more about. I've seen him play at youth level for Germany, but I'm trying to... I don't really know much about him, but I'm trying to update myself on him. But I've seen a couple glimpses of him for Hamburg as I've dipping in and out, seeing Amici's progress or attempting to just see how that club play because Amici's played 38 minutes and a lot of the times I've watched the games he ain't been on. But um, yeah, I thought I'd mention that people really and truly. Um, I don't think there's anything else for me to add. Oh, apparently. Oh yeah, United, they lost 11 away games. They've only scored five goals um, and they lost 2-0 to Arsenal, 2-1 to Wolves, 2-1 to Wolves. 3-0 to Barcelona, it says. Everton 4-0. 1-1 with Huddlesfield. 1-1 with Wolves. 1-1 with Southampton. 2-0 to West Ham. 0-0 against Altmore and obviously lost 1-0 to Newcastle. When the Barcelona game happened, I can't remember that. But well, it is what it is, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I forgot to mention that. Speaking of away form and away games in general, um, only Watford have conceded more away goals in the Premier League in 2019 than Chelsea, which is 27. However, you've got a hail up Chelsea for their fighting back power because they've won their last two on the road despite conceding twice in each game. So, yeah, man, they can see goals. It, I guess it kind of reiterates that Chelsea's one problem might just be conceding goals for it for as good as I believe they've been. Um, I don't feel there's anything else to necessarily add people, so I'm going to get out of here, really. Like, it's time for me to eat my dinner and that. Like, I've been here for a minute, people. We've been here for about 53 minutes. Um, In fact, before I go, I think I've got some notes. Which you could say, I don't know why, maybe it's a... I don't know. Maybe it just shows the perspective in football for Arsenal. Because although Arsenal are playing well, for touches as a team, I think we scored eighth. For touches as a... As, um, for passes, sorry, as well as touches, we're eighth. We're sixth for goals. Um, yeah. We're 13, I believe. We've had six shots. We're sixth for shots. P apologies, people. Um, for tackles, we're 13th with 20, 129. I think Gwendozi is our highest score, highest 
play when you not at, when you don't look on the Premier League stats as a team, when you look at player, Gwendozi's twenty fifth now. Touches in possession doesn't mean football, but again to push his agenda offensively. If there's a dramatic drop off from last season where Xhaka and Gwendozi were very high for touches as much as our problems, and we're not really creating. Is there less of an emphasis on just galvanising games and being on the front foot? Like, I've seen elements of being a counter-attack inside this season. We've shown it again in the first opening exchanges against Bournemouth. But we need to do more in an offensive sense. And I'm not going to stop trying to push my agenda. And as a club, are things really bad as much as I'm saying? Because we've got four wins, the same as Chelsea. Only Liverpool and Manchester City, the league winners, or one of the two will be, have have more than us. We haven't got the worst defensive stats at this moment in time in October. So it's important not to write narratives. As you lot have seen throughout this podcast, I've said don't write narratives for every team. Um, To touch on some other Premier League games, I'm not going to sit and watch, say I watched everything, but Phil Villa did well against Norwich. That was a bit of a shocker how they lit them up and Grealish did his thing to try and get in the forts of um, Gareth Southgate. Not for this international break, but moving forward. Shout out to Wolves for their result. Sheffield United are still unbeaten away from home after the Watford game, I believe. Um, What other games? Obviously, Madison scored and he's been called up to the England squad. He's on fire at the moment. I don't really have anything else to add, um, really and truly. Um, so, yeah, I'll see you lot on another podcast, man. We've been here for a minute. People deluded. I'm out. Thank you for watching. I'm rocking.